Hello all in Hawley Baptist Church. Hope you like the fancy environment. This is a bit weird seeing myself on the screen. It's it's an odd one. I'm Chris Tilling, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm looking forward to going through this wonderful passage with you. Now, what to make of this beautiful passage in this particular series? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at two aspects, the heart of the matter, as I see it, and then um, and then we'll think about what it is to eat uh, with others. So, the heart of the matter. At the heart of the Gospels, you see, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, is a portrayal of Jesus Christ. That's what they're about, obviously. They ask this question, you see, who is Jesus? That's that's the key question the Gospels are seeking to answer before any other. And in the passage that we read today from Mark chapter 2, we are brought right to the very heart of things. Notice how the passage emphasises again and again the various ways in which Jesus initiates friendship and relationship with us and asks us to reciprocate. So Jesus went out to teach or walking. He said, follow me, not follow a bunch of principles, follow me. Or again, later on in the passage, he sat at um, dinner in Levi's house and he was eating with sinners. Jesus is, um, as Matthew's gospel puts it, God with us. That is to say, Jesus shows us who God is, making time for us. He engages us in conversations. That's the kind of God we're dealing with. He might laugh at our jokes. He facilitates conversation and others in relationship. He is, in other words, not an aloof God, but with us in our messy lives. And this truth shook the world, the ancient Near Eastern world. It shook it, uh, for it tells us something astonishing about God. You see, crucial here, Jesus isn't just simply a dude over here, and then you've got God kind of aloof and 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 immutable and holy and nothing to do with us actually over there. Jesus, the Gospels tell us, reveal who God is. To ask who Jesus is, is to ask who God is. To ask what Jesus is like, is to ask what God is like. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, says John's Gospel. This is from the first chapter. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Or from John chapter 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Everything we think about God, however biblical or lofty it might sound, needs to pass this test. And again, this is from John's Gospel. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see Jesus shows us who God is by being with us. And as we see in our passage, Jesus eats with us and with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, twice in our passage, we read that Jesus sat and ate with many tax collectors and sinners. And then there's this third mention, that this troubled question that the Pharisees ask, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, who are these tax collectors and, and sinners in this passage? Tax collectors weren't necessarily collaborators with Rome, as many assume, but they were definitely local officials and they seem to have been prone to extortion. 
that, that is abusing their particular um, authority. And so they were accused of being traitors, abusers of the poor and lowly um, due to perjury. And in fact, later rabbinic tradition, which is Jewish tradition, saw Pharisees as the godliest, the holiest. Tax collectors, by contrast, were seen as the most ungodly people you could meet. The most ungodly people you could meet. Let that sink in. Now, what about these sinners? After all, aren't we all sinners? Well, scholars have debated what the gospel writers meant for a long time. And for a while, people thought that it was perhaps a technical term, sinner, um, that effectively meant the same thing as the people of the land. Um, but the most popular view these days amongst biblical scholars is to understand these sinners, and here I quote Craig Keener, as those who lived actively outside the scope of biblical commandments. After all, the Pharisees didn't despise the people of the land. So sinners were those who are actively living outside the stipulations of the law. So let, again, let that sink in. Sinners are those who lived actively outside the scope of the biblical commandments. Tax collectors are, for at least for the religious Pharisees, the most ungodly people you could meet. Here's the kicker. It's just such people Jesus wants to start a friendship with, spend time with, hang out with. Now, there's a bit of me that gets that, because hanging out with overly pious people can be a little more than tiresome, I think. It's almost as if some try to pretend to live in some kind of fantasy dream world of, of sanctification that kind of floats above the realities of, of messy life. But that's me. You know, Jesus, the Lord of glory, the Holy One of Israel wants to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus says, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now, perhaps talk of the righteous in this passage is ironic, although I, don't, I doubt that's actually Mark's intent. A key point either way is that Jesus wants to hang out with those who aren't living up to standards, to those who are messing up, to those who know they need help. And what is more, to eat with someone in this context, in the first century Jewish and Greco-Roman world, was a profoundly affirming act. And New Testament scholars are in agreement on this, that by eating with sinners, Jesus appears to endorse them and show profound solidarity with them. Hence the shocked question of the Pharisees, why is he doing this? So how can we make sense of this? How is it that the one who reveals the very nature of God to us is happy to stand side by side with tax collectors and sinners of all people? Well, this brings us to the heart of the matter, namely the heart of Jesus, because it's all about the kind of person Jesus is. He is the one when describing his own inner nature, that is his heart, as gentle and lowly in heart. You know the passage? So Jesus can offer an invitation to come to me, all who are laboured and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The heart of Jesus isn't simply exalted and dignified. Rather, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. As one author recently put it, Dane Ortland, in an interesting little book, this means that Jesus is humble, gentle. He's not trigger happy. He is not harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. In other words, our passage today reveals something profound about who Jesus 
is. Jesus is accessible. Nothing but our sin need qualify us to come to Jesus Christ. We don't need to pull up our moral bootstraps. Our sin is enough to bring us to Jesus Christ. It's people like you and me for whom Jesus prays the following in John's Gospel. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. Jesus desires to be with us, not when we've believed enough or repented enough or been more religious or whatever. Jesus desires to be with sinners. It follows that Jesus doesn't simply meet us in our place of need. He lives in our place of need. Jesus naturally gravitates to people like you and me. And our unevangelized notions of God that would tell us otherwise are things that we need to throw in the rubbish bin. For it is in Jesus that we understand who God is and what God is like. And we see the God of heaven who defines himself in his majesty as God for us, as God with us, as God who shows his solidarity with sinners like you and me in Christ, as God who seeks out and establishes living relationship with us. And this brings me to the second part here, eating together. Because of course, in eating with sinners, Jesus models something for us, right? In fact, this was central to Jewish faith for centuries. It was central to their understanding of what it is to be spiritual, if you like, because we might be tempted to think of food and eating together as carnal, secular, not the stuff of holy or lofty Christian spirituality. But in the worship book of the Old Testament, the Psalms, we read the following. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use, to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. Psalm 104. Now the heart in the Bible isn't merely the feels. In the Bible, it's the core of what we are. It's, it's the, the seat of our mind, will and emotions. Bread strengthens the heart. Now there is something profoundly worldly, fleshy about biblical lives of worship and spirituality. And, and I think this becomes clear as well in the earliest Christian traditions because a meal becomes the center of Christian worship. Now, of course, I'm speaking about the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, which was from the very start, the heart and core of all Christian worship. The early church was clear, as Andrew Davidson argues in his helpful little book, Why Sacraments? And um, here I'm quoting him, that Christ's presence with his church was perpetuated in a particularly remarkable way in the Lord's Supper was something accepted in the early church. In this meal, Christ is truly present. Now, of course, Christians have disagreed about what this might mean, right? What is happening in the Lord's Supper when we drink um, wine and, and eat bread? My point isn't to get into those debates. It's much simpler. Simply this. Worship is centrally and forever for Christians bound up with eating a meal together. I just had to quickly pop out there because... The oven was beeping. Um, so where was I? Oh, yes. Eating together as central to Christian worship. And, and, and we see eating actually continues even in the age to come in the New Testament. So this is the risen Jesus appearing to his disciples. Um, uh, and this is in Luke's gospel. And Luke explains that while in their joy, 
they were disbelieving and still wondering. Jesus said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. And when it came to the Passover meal, again, Luke's gospel says that Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In the age to come, we will eat with Jesus. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. So all of this makes clear. It's not worship, then a meal, but the meal is all about worship. Eating is bound up with the goal of creation itself. Jesus wants us to eat together. And this is the core of what the church has always known um, to be praise and worship and, and lives of discipleship. Now, this is so in the first place, of course, because of the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, because particularly in the bread and the, and the wine, Christ meets us. So at the end of the Gospel of Mark, um, Jesus um, says, take this is my body and, and this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Um, but in the second place, all of this is so because the Jewish tr tradition and Jesus both knew well, eating together does something powerful. We eat with people perhaps very different from us and thereby show our solidarity together one with another. Perhaps you've experienced this yourself when you've eaten together with those you don't know well, because something powerful happens at a dinner table. And I think that's why we need to guard ourselves against losing the centrality of eating together, as is um, a danger in many churches. For this reason, uh, Kendall Vanderslice wrote this helpful book um, entitled We Will Feast, um, and, and there it is for you, highly recommend it. And she argues that eating is the most basic human function, and I'm quoting her, critical to daily survival, but it's also one of life's greatest physical pleasures. To share this sensual process with others invites them to experience pleasure with us. It requires the sharing of our time, and personal resources. It reveals taste preferences, table manners, and cooking skills or lack thereof. It creates the space to know others in a deep and different way than conversation alone allows. And then she talks about an experiment that she undertook. Um, she, she asked three different women who weren't friends to simply commit to uh, a weekly meal in her home. Um, and, and it's absolutely fascinating because she asked them to journal their experiences. And, uh, and initially she said that it was unbelievably awkward. They didn't know what to talk about. She sat there clutching her wine glass at the end of the meal, wishing she'd come up with prompt cards for conversation, but she didn't think of that. Um, she then decided to experiment a little bit over the coming weeks. They uh, would share different recipes. They even ate out at one point. But slowly and surely over the weeks, the awkwardness, though occasionally was there and for some remained silent and others would be more chatty, but the awkwardness remained. Um, but over the weeks, she saw a change and she ends her little story by saying this, that despite awkwardness and discomfort, the intimacy of eating together somehow bonded us. We became friends in an unexpected kind of way. So perhaps when this pandemic is all over, we could experiment with eating together, mixing and matching, perhaps going out for a meal 
uh, with with some or cooking a meal or having some kind of potluck thing with different folk just to see what it's like. Because we love because God first loved us. We eat with others because Jesus Christ first ate with us and thereby shows us the unconditional love and generosity and friendliness of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us to be like Jesus in eating with all kinds of different people and in creating fellowship and friendship. But most of all, Father, we pray that we will once again be drawn back to the heart of Jesus Christ, who reveals what you are like, the God who wants to be with us, to talk with us and to commune with us. And for that, we give you thanks and praise both now and forever. Amen.